Hello, and welcome to Parking Thought, the show where we highlight the good in the world from the extraordinary to the everyday. You're going to want to like and subscribe wherever you find us. Curiosity, meet gratitude. My name is Jacob, and I'm glad you're here today. In this edition, we're going to be continuing to apply our curiosity to the question of where do we come from and who are we? But not in the religious sense, in the sense of who were our ancestors? Yes, we're talking about family history this week. And so far, we've talked a little bit about how technology has enabled that to be better. I talked about the miracle in the previous episode of being able to find the family names that we needed from my wife's side of the family. We've talked a lot in each of these episodes about how uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's a mouthful, but it's it's mouthful for a reason, but members of that church uh, take these names to the temples to make sure that the work of salvation, the commandment to be baptized, that everybody has an opportunity to do that. So my children have stood in for some of the ancestors that we've done family history research for. Now, on earlier this week, we talked a little bit about Lucius Clark, and you guys got to hear Lucius. I know the audio isn't the greatest uh, because of the recording technology we had at the time, but you got to hear from Lucius. He's no longer around, hasn't been around for a few decades, and yet you got to hear him describe the story of what it was like to travel over a mountain from Bear Lake uh, back to where um, he needed to go in order to be there for his father's funeral. And so I'll let you listen to that episode uh, when you get a chance. It's episode 76. Right now in this episode, we're going to be listening to Lucius Clark again. This time, though, he tells a bit of a different story. He tells a story of how he, being newly married, well, Actually, he doesn't tell that part of the story. I need to tell that part of the story so you guys can appreciate this. Um, Lucius's dad moved the family, all of the families, because remember, Lucius's dad was a polygamist. So Lucius's father moved all of the families down to Mexico. And so he moved them down to Mexico um, where, you know, Lucius decided, and it was like towards the end of his teenage years, it was very formidable years. And so he went to a local academy that was there um, to be able to develop his education. And uh, while he was there in this English-speaking slash Spanish-speaking academy, um, he was not only learning uh, the things that he was learning from the academic curriculum, but he also learned Spanish at the time. Uh, musically talented, Lucius could play the guitar and the mandolin. He loved to sing, you know, and had lots of talents. Well, while he was down there, you know, in his early 20s, he met a young lady and uh, they got married. And so the two of them got married and they were in their first year of marriage. They were down in the, the Juarez area, if I remember right, right? So they're down in this area in Mexico and they're starting off their new life, newly married, uh, making ends meet, you know, very, very humble folk, right? But making ends meet and trying to do the best they can. And what was happening at that time period, early 1900s, was you ended up having um, a bunch of bandits uh, that would come through. And this is the era of Pancho Villa, right? So this is this is that era. And it is those bandits who were in the area that caused the entire settlement to uproot and leave. And so, you know, women and children first um, was very much a real thing at that, that age and that stage of things. And so, you know, within like his first year, year and a half of marriage, he, he describes in this how he put his wife on a train and didn't know if he would ever see her again. And that before the train could come back and pick up the, the men, the brethren, right, um, the bandits had blown up a bridge and the train wouldn't be able to come back and get them. And he talks about how they had to walk in order to get reunited again and how he felt. And now Lucius is a man that's not going into a whole lot of detail about his feelings. I think he comes from an era where you kind of kept those quiet. 
So when he speaks and he talks about the impression that that made on him, really listen, because you'll, could you imagine that happening to you? Whether you are married or plan on getting married, but your first year of marriage, being scared for your life, putting your spouse on a train and not knowing if you're going to see that person again. And then, you know, his wife is on a train and then gets put in a foreign place, you know, at a different country and different people than she was used to and wondering if her husband was ever going to find her again. And what a great feeling of loneliness and what prayers, what prayers they must have offered during that time period to ask that things would work out. And I'll tell you they did because years later, you know, my grandmother was able to be born and she was a wonderful woman. But I want you guys to listen to Lucius's own words describing this event. And so let's go ahead and let's turn him on now. Audio quality's not the greatest again, but let's listen to him now and, and hear his story. And, uh, and I got there about a half an hour before the teams pulled out with the women and children. I got to see her for about oh, half an hour or so before they went. And then, of course, I had to stay because the men had to stay and take care of things and send the women and children out with a few old men to take care of <laughs> And they had to ride about 20 miles down to the railroad track. And then they loaded them into freight cars and into flat cars or anything they could get. What kind of a car did you have? Oh, that was some kind of, I can't remember. <laughs> there weren't any of them up to date. Then. And they shipped they them out that day. And uh, the evening after they, and one day after they shipped the women and children to El Paso, the rebels came and blowed up the bridges of the railroad. So there we were now. <laughs> the women were in El Paso. How old, how old were you, Grandpa? What's that? How old were you then? Oh, I was 25 then. I was quite an elderly man. <laughs> <laughs> and she was 22. Mm. Well, that was a kind of trying days. We didn't know. I, I can remember it had such an impression on me. I wondered if I'd ever get to see her again and if I'd ever get out of Mexico alive because it didn't look very interesting or encouraging. There we were, 200 miles to the other side of the border, and uh, surrounded by hostile natives, or fighting the government, and they were, they were angry with the Americans, because the Americans wouldn't join them. We refused to join either side, we were neutral, and we were advised not to take sympathize with either side, because that would, would prove our annihilation if we had to take side with either group, you see, didn't they? Well, that's a long story. How we left, caught our horses in the night. Well, you don't want to hear too many gory details. I bet we want to hear all of them. <laughs> you go ahead. I want to hear as many details as you'll give us. And so it was raining when her father and I left to go out in the pasture and catch a horse. We had a rope. And there stood between us and safe in, I don't know what. That was our chance to get a horse and to get up to that horse and get up to that cave that evening. And it was sprinkling. Of all the gloomy feelings a person had under those circumstances, I thought, well, we're going to try for it. We don't know what will happen. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. So we went out, but we were fortunate, and we were able to catch a couple of horses that belonged to our father. And so we got on these horses and rode up to that place. It quit raining in a little while, thank goodness. And we built a big bonfire up there behind a little mountain and dried our clothing and made up some 
makeshift tents with our blankets we were able to bring with us. And then the next morning it cleared up and it wasn't very cold weather. That was in July. It was just uh, disagreeable, that sprinkling rain, you know. And so we'd accumulated a, a day or two before that. We hauled a, a lot of groceries up there in that cave. It just be for eventual eventuality. If the case time came and we had to run out leave quickly, we'd have something to eat, you see. So these men were smart enough to have some food up in that cave. And so they brought a few extra horses and pack saddles, and they put some, had some flour and a few things that they have in a grocery store on these pack horses, and then we started traveling the next day. Now, any questions? <laughs> and we traveled for three days to get out of Mexico, and we went around through the mountains to, uh, so we would avoid the Mexican armies that were scattered around. And we had quite an experience crossing those hot deserts in July. We about died of thirst. We had all of our dogs died of thirst, and several horses were dropped dead, and some of us almost. Uh, it was a miracle that we all pulled through, and none of the people died. My goodness, we got thirsty. I remember driving all day in that hot July sun. We'd see a windmill off in the distance, and when we'd get there, why, there wouldn't be any wind, and the, and the windmill wasn't running, and the water was hot in the trough where the cattle had been. <laughs> we didn't get very much relief to drink. And uh, I, was, I said at that time, I'd give $10 for a cup of swallows of cold water. Oh, God, we were thirsty. But uh, we were fortunate and survived, they tell us. Then we finally got to El Paso. How glad we were to find these ladies and uh, their parents in the lumber yard. They had an old lumber yard there that had been abandoned. And uh, they put sheets up where they put the lumber, you know, around the post. And each family was allotted a place about eight feet square. And they. Well, you know how lumber yards are divided off. Rodney yeah. Lumber Yard, wasn't it? Was it was what? Wasn't it Romney had a lumber yard in, in, uh, in Dublin? And I, I was the manager in, in a lumber yard for a while. Brother Romney's the lumber yard. I, during the summer, when I wasn't going to school, I got a job working for him, and he thought I was a pretty good mathematician, so he let me run the yard. I had to take in the lumber and give people credit when they bring lumber and then I'd sell lumber to people when they come after. And I worked for him that summer in his lumber yard. Now Mary G. Romney was Castro's son, isn't he? George Romney. George Romney, who was president of the Ricks College. George Romney was president of Ricks College and Mary G. Romney was his son. And and this George Romney was my teacher in the in the academy. me there. And he was Mary G was just a little boy playing around there when I was working for Brother Romney. Well, you see, that that's such a long story. I've got a whole big book that thick that somebody had written the story of all the details, and it's it's quite a story. It's quite a fascinating. 
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that voice from the past. Part of the reason for doing the voice from the past sort of thing in this these episodes this week with family history is to remind you of how simple it can be to tell your family stories. I was talking with one lady today and encouraging her to do this, and she said, oh, but I'm just, I mean, great Southern lady, right? But, oh, I'm just so long-winded, I don't know how to stop. And I said, okay, well, tell the story of how you met your husband. Not how you met your husband, how you started dating, how he proposed, and how you got married, and how you had all these kids. Tell the story of how you met your husband. You know, oh, oh, I think I can do that. So I loaned her one of my recording devices and sent it on her way. And uh, she's on a trip, ironically enough, down to Mexico on a vacation with her husband. And so I'm hoping they'll take the time to use that device to do some recording and just tell the small snippets of stories um, that make up who you are and help to answer questions in one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to talk a little bit more, a little bit more about how those answers that you share, the experiences that you share, mean more to your generations that follow than you might know. But that's why this is called a teaser, and that's what you're going to have to stay tuned for. So let's wrap this episode up. This is the part where I tell you that the best way to say thank you for this particular episode is to share this episode with somebody else that you know. And if you're just joining us for this episode, thank you so much for being here. Maybe it had something you could Google and this is all you want. Great. Good to have you. Thank you again. If you want to stick around for the long haul, head on over to Parking Thought. We've got all the curated links to Stitcher, Spotify, you know, Pocket Cast, all of those things that you may want to use to be able to subscribe to the show so it can be delivered directly to your favorite device. At the end of every episode, I like to offer this challenge, and so I hope you'll take it. The challenge is pretty simple. It's to remember that in a world where you can choose to be anything, why not choose to be grateful? 